I do really see a difference in just taking women's work more seriously and not Mm. chalking it up to just diary notes and belittling it. And I guess I should say non-men. But I love it. I mean, I love the big wave of seeing the youth come in and really resonate with people and not really belittling what young teens like either. You know, let them scream. That was Molly Rankin of Always. And this is Shiro's, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, Shiro's Radio. Shiro's is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss challenges and triumphs how far we've come, and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music better for everyone. This week marks one year of the remarkable album Blue Rev, the third outing by Toronto indie rock band Always. Released to unanimous critical acclaim on October 7th, 2022, just a couple of months later, the wildly successful collection was named one of the best of the year on every year-end list, including NPR, Pitchfork, New York Times, The Guardian, to name a few. And in most cases, it was in the top three. As the calendar year flipped to 2023, Always took home the Juno Award for Alternative Album of the Year for Blue Rev, as they had done with their 2017 album, Anti-Socialites. And later in the year, it was shortlisted for the 2023 Polaris Music Prize, making it the third time in a row that their albums have been shortlisted. On this show, Always has been name-checked several times by interview guests who talk of the inspiring feeling of watching them perform, both because of the incredible musicianship and fantastic shows, and for the fact that Always is comprised of mostly female and non-binary members. The band was formed in Nova Scotia when childhood friends Molly Rankin, who is now the always frontwoman, songwriter and guitarist, and Carrie McLellan, who plays keyboards, began playing music together and then invited Alec O'Hanley to join. In addition to those core three members, the current lineup also includes bassist Abby Blackwell and drummer Sheridan Riley. As the band prepares to celebrate their milestone album's anniversary, including a very limited edition final release, it's a perfect moment to welcome Molly Rankin as this week's Shiro in the Spotlight. Molly Rankin of Always, welcome to Shiro's. I'm so happy to have you here. Hi, an honor to be asked. And I've been a fan since the beginning. And Blue Rev was one of my very favorite albums of the year last year. Remains one of my favorites. Congratulations (laughs) on all the success with that. Oh, thank you. It felt like there was no light at the end of the tunnel for a while, as it did, I'm sure, for everyone. But no, it's nice to be through the gauntlet of completing something. So I understand that the songs for Blue Rev were around, or at least some of them were around for quite a while before you actually got them down. Take us through the genesis of this album, (laughs) (laughs) if you wouldn't mind. I think I try to write all the time and document ideas, whether that's something while we're traveling or when we have a weekend off or whatever. So some of the stuff, at least one song called Easy on Your Own, we had played live and then we had gone into the studio and it was interrupted by the pandemic. So all in one day, really, the NBA season was canceled, the NHL season was canceled, South by Southwest was canceled, and we are in the studio looking at each other like, 
should we get out of here? <laughs> should we get out of America? <laughs> so we did. And then, you know, everything stopped. But we had a lot of time to just think about what we wanted to do and, and hone things, write more. And then Sean Everett, who produced the album with us, he came on board late in that process. And we were lucky to just have that work out serendipitously. Yeah. How did you connect with Sean? Well, I think, you know, you make a little list of people who you think would suit what you were trying to do. And he was, of course, on the list and has done a lot of really great work. So it was just a matter of time. I mean, he seems like maybe the busiest alien I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that could be true. Yeah. So is the length of time that went between when you were about to record and then stopped and then started again and kept writing, is that why this album ended up being so long? Like 14 songs is, is a long album, right? I think this is the longest one you've done yet. Yeah, I don't think, wow, it's 14 yeah, I, it wasn't on purpose and I haven't really thought about that, but there was nothing we could leave off. Yeah. And it just worked out that way. But yeah, I think we ruined our 10 song stretch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, you mentioned Easy on Your Own as being one of the songs that kind of got this started, right? Do you want to talk to us about this song and then we can play a little clip of it? Yeah, sure. I think... I'm hovering in lyrical content that I've touched on before, but yeah, the synthesis of this song was basically me sitting in this basement and just playing something over and over again and trying things on a keyboard, which is, you know, basically how I write. And I really want it to be a big, loud guitar strummer, which is something that we've done before, but actually quite difficult to make all the moments feel momentous in a way. And I don't know if that's because it was around for so long and we just got used to the way that we thought it should sound. But I feel like Sean really helped us with that. And yeah, it is a very sad song. And, you know, being stuck in a gray life, whether that's an office building or staring at a computer screen, waiting in traffic and just wondering if that's it. I dropped out college education On your own track two on Blue Rev, the third album by Always. We have Molly Rankin here with us on Shiro's. I'm Carmel Holt. So you mentioned how you write, that you usually do it on a keyboard, which surprised me. I thought that you would be writing songs more on guitar. Is that where your journey started with music? Were you trained on the piano first? My father was a piano player and a fiddler. And so I grew up with keyboards in our living room. There's pictures of me when I was probably two sitting in front of a keyboard, but it's very natural. And also the key you hit makes 
the note. Like (laughs) there's no ambiguity there, whereas, you know, the slip of a finger can make a completely different sound while playing guitar or fiddle. You know that there was a Kraftwerk documentary where they were talking about they did play guitars and they were like, it's just too hard. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's funny. I never really thought about it that way because I grew up playing the piano and Actually, so many of my guests, I'm realizing, I don't know if it feels like it's kind of a girl thing, like so many of us did start on the piano. And then I felt like when I wanted to write music, I couldn't write music on a piano because it felt like, no, that's that. That's like playing classical music or whatever. If I'm going to write songs, I need to do it on a guitar. So I sort of rejected the piano for a while. And I, I've heard that like repeated back to me a lot in these interviews. Was there any of that for you? Did you ever have like a, a, like a breakup with the keyboards and then like come back to it? That's so weird. Mm -hmm. I never thought about that, but I do know because I, I never felt like that. I feel like you can find anything you need to find on a keyboard really easily, whereas guitar, yeah. it's, it doesn't make as much sense right. in my brain. It's so but, true. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just, you know, there's this saying where your your hands are like old dogs. They just go to the same places. Right. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So trying to break out of that, whatever instrument you're playing, I think is always something on my mind. Like when I pick up a guitar, am I just playing the same riffs every time? Right. Or can I just shake those little neural paths that I continue to repeat and do something outside of that. When did you and your hands meet the guitar for the first time? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think I was probably 13 or 14 and uh, it was my brother's guitar. It was like, I think, an acoustic guitar and I was just watching a music channel on TV and wanting to do what that was and had a lot of time on my hands, very bored and just being home alone and trying stuff out. I really fell in love with Oasis, that small band from the United Kingdom. (laughs) Yeah, that little band. (laughs) And just wanted to learn all of their songs, which I think is such a great way to start playing something is just to learn someone else's thing. (laughs) Definitely. So you grew up surrounded by music. Your dad, you said, was a musician. Was your mom also a musician or? No, but because I'm from this place called Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, a Mm. lot of musicians live there. I think it's a product of who we are. A lot of the people came from Scotland and some fiddles came on the boat that they rode there. It was just a big part of keeping morale up, I think in the winters because it's a pretty wild place to live seasonally and yeah so everyone in my mother's family also really loves music you know like Carrie who plays keys in our band she probably played more music than I did who was our neighbor and her whole family too so it's just everywhere there I love that concept. And like, I love talking to Irish musicians, for example, you know, or anyone that comes from that Celtic tradition, because it is so a natural part of the fabric of life. Like nobody, they don't have that hierarchy about musicians and like normal people. It's just like, no, everybody just plays music and you go to the pub, there's big sing-alongs and it's just normal. Yeah. And it's also, you're kind of expected to share whatever skill you have for the betterment of the party. Right. For the community. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I love that model so much more in a way than how it is now where everybody kind of is tucked away doing their own thing. And then it's like, here I am with my thing, you know, and it creates 
some competition sometimes in yeah, that way. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I never thought about mm-hmm. it like that, like mm-hmm. more of a community. I mean, I know that people do collaborate a lot. Yeah. Um, not something I've ever really done, but yeah. it intrigues me. It just takes a lot of a specific muscle to use to collaborate with others. I, it must just open up a whole other world. When did you and Carrie start collaborating? <laughs> oh, early days. Um, we always played piano side by side on the same bench and played fiddle together. Yeah. I oh mean, we God. were just like, we kind of are soulmates in this way where if someone will say something in a room and we just look at each other and know what <laughs> right. we're, we're thinking, you know, doesn't need to be said. So we have a lot of laughs and she's an incredibly fast learner, faster than I am. And she did go through a lot of Royal Conservatory stuff, which I I didn't. I'm self-taught. I can't read music. I just make stuff up. So I'm kind of a fraud in that way. I just have like ideas, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I don't think that that is any lesser than it's just different. It's just a different approach. I happen to think that there's something about learning by ear and being self-taught that actually is much more liberating because you're not limited by any preconceived anything. There's no rules to abide by. You're just like doing whatever your brain, your heart tells you to do. Yeah, it's really funny when you do encounter someone who is really off put by something that doesn't make theoretical is that the word you should use sense you know like you can't do that it sounds so ridiculous well because there's a mathematical aspect to music too that if your brain works in that certain way you want to kind of box it into that framework or something yeah i mean Mm -hmm. having said that it would be great to know what the fuck people are talking about (laughs) most of the time that's true also (laughs) molly rankin is our guest today on shiro's she's of the band always and blue rev is the name of the new album i'm gonna just say that it's still new i appreciate that we already agreed on that yeah because there's Um, not gonna be anything new in a while so let's just sit with this one yes (laughs) I love a good reference, especially when they're musicians. And I think it's great that Belinda Carlisle and Tom Verlaine both live in this album. R.I.P. Tom Verlaine. I know. You couldn't you couldn't have known. And then there it is. I know. It's high time somebody wrote a song with Tom Verlaine as the title. I mean, I did see someone say, like, Belinda, watch out. Yeah. You know, but <laughs> I've, yeah. I don't know. I didn't think that that would be a thing when we chose the title of the song, but... He was incredible. Do you want to talk about either one of those songs? I mean, I'm partial to the Belinda Says one because it's Shiro's and I love the Go-Go's. Well, yeah, I mean, neither of those songs and even the Jim Reed reference on our previous album are really about those people. They're just sort of like a timely line at a very ascending moment in the songs that really finished everything and allowed us to puzzle the lyrics together. And that's mostly how I write. If the lyrics don't come immediately, then it's just this big puzzle that can take forever. Or, you know, if you really work at it, it can come together. But as far as Belinda goes, I think that was actually Alex's line. And, you know, when he said that, it was such a moment for us. And there were a lot of moments like that on this record, just ping-ponging ideas off of one another and high-fiving <laughs> after you know <laughs> after struggling. <laughs> and would it be fair to say that this is maybe the most collaborative? I mean, I know you said that you're not big 
collaborator in general or hadn't been in the past, but is it fair to say that this is the most collaborative Always album thus far? Um, I guess what I meant, I'm not much of a collaborator. It's with people outside of... Outside of your band. Yeah, gotcha. exactly. Yeah. And I also just am cognizant of kind of watering whatever it is we are down in a way, like spreading ourselves thin by being everywhere else, right. um, if that makes sense. And I've just mm-hmm. been always sort of this weird introverted person that's territorial about things. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, learning about collaboration with Alec too has been a very long road of learning and honing that skill too. The more often it happens, the better, you know, the easier it is. But just um, being open about your ideas and also knowing when something needs to remain as it is. Right. Yeah. So learning how to navigate having boundaries, but also like loosening the reins too. At the exactly. Same time, every situation. Yeah. yeah. Every situation is different. He did though bring a lot of, as he ha- always has, a lot of chunks of ideas that I felt were so inspiring and could expand upon. Mm-hmm. And we both have totally different skill sets and it has been a very fruitful creative thing for me. says from Always album Blue Rev, Molly Rankin, our guest today on Shiro's. And that was the song that you had your late night TV debut with. Congratulations on that. That must have felt, I don't know, how did it feel? I don't want to tell you how it felt. (laughs) (laughs) How was that for you to be on late night TV on Fallon? It was fun. I'm glad it happened because you build these things up in your mind, like, when are we going to have to do this? And also, I think we were maybe going to do it before we had even started playing the songs, which is what Mm -hmm. happens a lot with TV is, you know, a lot of people want you to do it before or right as the album is coming out. In a lot of cases, your band hasn't even played the songs, really, or toured the songs yet. So we were lucky enough to have a big, long tour under our belts before we had to do that. But I thought I was totally fine going on TV until the introduction happened and I was like my throat was drying up it took me about 45 seconds to get my voice back after we started which was not something I've encountered before so wild wild sensation to be battling on television but well it's just gonna get easier and easier as more and more of those things happen and I have a feeling there's gonna be much much more based on your continued building of success what has changed for you do you feel like the most as a result of all of that success oh I mean not that much has changed and it's so funny to hear the word success because we still hear more no's than yeses 
Oh, interesting. Those are all just under the surface, though. So, so many things don't work out that nobody ever knows about. But we've had such low expectation for this project. You know, I've always trusted the songs and my own filter for what I thought was cool or not cool or whatever. And so far, that combination has worked. And it's not been overnight either. Well, it's been almost 10 years. Exactly. It's important to point that out. This didn't just, like, happen. It's so true. Even by the time our first album had come out, we'd done a lot of touring. And the record had existed in other worlds before it was written about or, you know, people were talking about it. But so nothing about it was overnight. It's given us a lot of time to just grow along with the expectation of what our live show should be or how we present ourselves or whatever. Has anything changed for you in terms of or that you've observed in the business about gender and music and being a musician? I do really see a difference in just taking women's work more seriously and Mm. not chalking it up to just diary notes and belittling it to that, I guess. And I guess I should say non-men would be probably the right way to describe it. But I love it. I mean, I love the big wave of seeing the youth come in and really resonate with people and not really belittling what young teens like either. You know, let them scream. Yes. Yes. You mentioned Oasis. Did you see yourself or identify with anyone out there making music that helped you or that made you feel like, okay, I see my way forward? I mean, I loved Avril Lavigne when I was younger. I thought she was so cool, you know? She's so cool. She's still so cool. Yeah, she's still going. And also she was petite and sort of looked like me. I think I actually dressed up as her once in school for a a costume day. And I would love to find that photo. But I, you know, really liked the songs. The songs were really well made. Her voice was huge. It was a fun time because, you know, the alternative was Britney and Christina, which everyone knew and loved. But, you know, I'm just talking mainstream stuff. I didn't really have a record store or anything. So I was reliant on the radio and TV to tell me what was going on. I didn't know anything about Riot Girl or, you know, La Tigra or something. Right. And now you do, though. That must have been like... Whoa, like a revelation. I had a lot of friends when I moved to Prince Edward Island for the summer. I had a lot of friends who would pass me CDs of things. I I had one pal who gave me uh, the Dolly Mixture compilation. Are you familiar with them? No. The, The Dolly Mixture. There's a lot there to dig into. And they were really, really brave musicians. Three women from the UK who wrote a lot of really great pop songs and they were quite DIY and I know that they were encouraged to be a specific way but never really buckled. You might enjoy it. They're one of my favorite groups of all time. Yeah. Thanks for the hot tip. I'm going to write that down. The Dolly Mixture. Exactly. I see somewhere in the liner notes that you have production credits on this album. Yes. (laughs) Talk to me about production and your journey with that and the importance of being credited as one. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone just sort of felt like it was time to actually 
put in writing my contribution to that, even though it's pretty much been the same since we started. We just have a traditional definition of what, in air quotes, production is. But I think that's changing. You know, Alec has always been right there making those decisions and me beside him, even though, you know, I don't know how to hook up a Zoom call. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So the techie end of it, but it's more about the sonics. Yeah. Yeah. But I've always been very bossy and very upfront and direct about everything that I feel something should be in my own ASMR way. Right. You know? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Molly Rankin here with us. Of always, the album is Blue Rev, their third. Do you have a favorite song on the album or one that you're especially proud of? I mean, one of the songs I loved and really wanted the record to begin with was Pharmacist. From the demo, which I listened to for years before... I even added the guitar solo. I just knew it had this element that really resonated. So I feel a deep connection to that. And I was really excited when Carrie and Sean, every time we worked on it, they would just dance in their chairs, which I, I really appreciated. But the song Tile by Tile is one of my favorites. And that song actually came in right at the end, right at the finish line where I was afraid it wasn't going to get to where it needed to be. But that was sort of like the runt of the litter for quite some time that I felt really emotionally connected to. And and it's a really hard song to sing and to play. And I feel like it sets a nice tone for a ballad. by Tile, a track from the amazing, most recent album by Always called Blue Rev. We have one of my Shiro's, Molly Rankin, here with us on Shiro's, and I'm Carmel Holt. Do you have any vision for what's next for Always? Like if you could paint, you know, your ideal picture for the next steps for the future, what what would that look like? Incremental growth, baby. Just one step at a time. Actually, I don't. But just having everyone feel confident and comfortable with the whole outfit, whether, you know, that's Sheridan on drums or the crew that we take out on the road, that has just been such a feat to make sure that everyone feels like good about what we're all doing and and good enough to stick around because it's never been more difficult to be in music, I don't, I don't think. In what way? The well, pandemic? Well, just to or? keep afloat, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but I mean, and I shouldn't say never been more difficult, but it does really feel like we're kind of at an impasse here where we might have to take a look at <laughs> how to go forward. So yeah. young bands can come up and prevail in some way. I mean, I'm also wondering, and you would probably know a lot about this, is mm. what are the demographics of radio? Because that is such a big component of, Aha. of revenue. 
The demographics of radio is actually something I do know about because I'm engaged in a study which we just revealed our first round of findings about at Noncom in Philadelphia, looking at perceptions and realities of how radio is presented, who are the voices presenting, who are the voices that get through, the breakdown by gender and identity, race, who's getting the airplay and when. It's super interesting. (laughs) Sadly, it was exactly what I thought it would be. Yeah. So we have some work to do, but it was really inspiring also to talk about it because I find that when you present the data to back up your anecdotal evidence, to back up your emotional evidence, which I think is also super valid, it really gets people's attention and it validates all that. So the demographics are majority male, cis white male. And then below that is cis white women. And I'm talking about in like our world. Yeah. This is non-commercial and commercial AAA in in the United States. And then below that, it was men of color and then women of color on the bottom. And then bottom, bottom was non-binary. There was like 0.1% or something. As far as songs and... Songs played, airplay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, I remember... I remember like Casey Musgraves saying something about not getting radio play. Like someone had asked her why. And, you know, she had a very hilarious response about, you know, genitalia or something, you know. Yeah, no, it's so true. And what's interesting, too, that's country radio. So, oh, you know what? So Jada Watson is from Ottawa and she was our data analyst. You should just look at her work. It's amazing. She teaches at the University of Ottawa. She's actually like has a doctorate in this. And she's very much involved with the country and Americana world. That's her specialty. You ever hear about the radio programmer from country radio that said radio is like a salad and women are like the garnish? I'm trying to and think that's of how, what a salad garnish is, just in reality. So like, like the tomatoes, <laughs> like just like the tomatoes on the top, like those little grape tomatoes. That's the importance of playing women on country radio. That's what he said. Yeah. Was um, he saying that excitedly or was he saying that's, this no. is the, you know, the harsh This reality. is the reality. Yeah. I've been in radio since the mid nineties and things have changed, but also not even 10 years ago, I was sitting in music meetings where they would say, well... We have Phoebe Bridgers, always. Thanks for uh, throwing us in there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because it was like any female voices, they would say, well, we have all of these songs going for ads this week. We can't add them all. And I'd go, why not? Like, why is there a limited number of slots? That's stupid. Like, I don't I don't even understand. So anyway. You asked about the demographics. Yeah, so no, that's, it's, it's that fascinating me, to me. That sent me down this path. Was there something specific, though, that you were interested in about the demographics? Was it airplay or, or what did you want to know? I remember seeing Casey say that. Musgrave, and yeah. I, yeah, and I did kind of just want to know how that all works because it can be such a big part of going yeah. back to the economic reality of being a musician. There's so many bands or artists that I've never thought about that get played all the time on the radio. And then they headline festivals. Right. And I'm always like, who are these people? 
it's just a world that I don't understand and like to know more about. Not that in any way I think we qualify <laughs> fidelity wise to be on the radio. <laughs> it's do, not though. about my own personal gripes. It's more just fascinating to me. It is fascinating. And it goes back to, as Jada likes to say, the system is working. This was the system that was built a century ago of white supremacy and sexism in terms of programming. The problem is, is that we keep repeating the same systems. And I think we could say the same for society. Yeah. Um, so I'll go back to the part where I said it was really inspiring because <laughs> the men in the room, the, ma the male programmers who are also the majority of the people who are the gatekeepers and curating what goes out on the radio, were really, really excited and interested to know more and to do the analysis of their own radio stations because they want help. They want help to make changes. Yeah. And what Jada pointed out, which I think is really true, is that we not only need to address new songs that get played, but we also have to kind of rewrite who are considered our legacy artists. She said, if you just focus on new music and diversifying your playlist of new music, then you're not addressing like the cake, same ingredients. You're just changing the frosting. We want to make sure that we understand that Sister Rosetta Tharp was essential to rock and roll and should be part of regular airplay versus like we play her on International Women's Day or Black History <laughs> Month, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's that's really crazy. It's such a weird foreign world radio. Good job to you, you know. Thanks. <laughs> Doing my best over here <laughs> just to rewrite music yeah. history, you know. No big deal. NBD. Anyway, back to you. Sorry, we really went on a little tangent there. So since we talked about the magic wand before we wrap up today. Yeah. Molly Rankin, could I pass you the Shiro's magic wand? Sure. So reiterate the yes. premise of this. Okay. So the premise is I give you the Shiro's magic wand and I say, with this wand, you have the power to change anything for women and genderqueer, non-binary folks in the music world, in our industry. What would you change? I think, yes, there are many things. I would say one thing that would be great to see is more women in tech. You know, I think it's such a pleasure to work with people that aren't men when they're in a crew situation or when they're behind a desk making their own decisions. I love to see that. And it just adds this whole other element to a workplace that I find indescribable, but it's there. It's just this energy and I think it would be cool if young girls learned to get into that stuff, were helped to crack into that world that seems really alienating and just sort of exclusive. Because there is so much language that is such a learning curve. It's kind of just its own dialect, you know, even when we started as a band learning all the ways to describe what you need on stage or what you're hearing. It is this strange lexicon so it can be kind of an exclusive thing. And, and I think it would be really elevating. I agree 100%. Yeah, I have a friend who's a mix engineer named Bella Blasco. If you're ever looking for a great mix engineer, by the way. Cool. Her main gig is working with The National. And she's worked with Wyoke's uh, Jen Wozner on Flock of Dimes projects and with Feist. And we had dinner one night and talked about that very thing. And we thought, 
oh, wouldn't it be awesome to teach course or workshops for musicians called sound language, not sign language, but sound language, to teach everyone the lexicon so that you're armed with the dialect so that you're able to communicate better. I think that that would change a lot. I like it. I think it's a good idea. (laughs) What should we go out with today? You can throw Pomeranian Spinster on there. That song also started on a synth and was a lot longer. It was just about (laughs) someone completely satisfied with having a tiny apartment, not finding their soulmate, and just having a bunch of dogs or one dog. And yeah, not really subscribing to the expectation of that life arc. And it just, all these different words just merged together as exciting to me. And there's a little bit of rage in there, combing through the past of, you know, maybe not advocating for oneself. And uh, it ended up, you know, manifesting in being completely satisfied with the result. Thanks to Molly Rankin. Thank you so much for being with us. This has been super fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for all this info. Many thanks to Molly Rankin of Always for being with us. Keep an eye out for details coming soon on the limited edition vinyl reissue of Blue Rev on Polyvinyl Records. Shiro's is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. Our original theme music is by Lucius. Shiro's is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit shirosradio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the Shiro's shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at Shiro's Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. That helps us grow and bring you more Shiro's. Until next time, remember, music is is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening.